those who've been at Harbin's for a while know that we've been partnering for at least for two, maybe three years now with the Georgia Baptist Children's Home. And um, particularly the Willett Cottage at the Children's Home has been the, the place where we've um, either done service or given our offerings and gifts to. And so this year, uh, May 13th again was designated as the year as a, to do an offering for churches to gather a special offering for the Children's Home. So that Deemer mentioned earlier a special offering. You do, in your seat pockets there, there are little offering envelopes for the children's home. And if the Lord puts it on your heart to give to the children's home today, then we'd ask you to do that. And during our regular time of offering at the end of the service, you can bring that forward and put it into the offering uh, box there. But this year, when um, I, I saw on the little form to order more envelopes and stuff, the opportunity to invite someone from the children's home to come speak to us, I thought, you know, I, I'd like to have that this year so someone can kind of cast the vision for us of what the children's home is all about and, and all that. So I got a call a couple of days later and was figuring they were going to send somebody out, I don't know, to a little church like ours, maybe a janitor or somebody, right? And lo and behold, they sent the president of the children's home to speak to us this morning. So uh, Dr. Uh, James Harper is going to be speaking to us this morning. I'm going to let him tell you a little bit more about the children's home and what God's laid on his heart this morning. He's been with the children's home for 28 years, uh, serving as president since 2008. So y'all give him a warm Harbin's welcome as he comes to speak to us this morning. Thank you, Steve. This is my first time at Harbin's, and I hope it's not my last time. But, you know, I don't usually get invited back when I go to preach somewhere, so that may tell you something. I'm impressed with this church. You have all these children. Oh, the Bible is right. Children are a gift and blessing of the Lord. And you ought to, you ought to recognize that. I go to a lot of Baptist churches to speak, and sometimes I'm the youngest person there. And it's bad when I'm the youngest person there. That means everybody else is older than I, so that doesn't bode well for the future. But when you have all these children, that's a wonderful thing. And, and as Steve said, I've, I've worked for 28 years with Georgia Baptist Children's Home. I love children. I've discovered some things, though, about children, and probably the older ones here have learned the same thing. If, you, if you're around children, it tends to keep you younger. Isn't that right? But if you try to keep up with them, it'll kill you. <laughs> so I don't try to keep up with them, but I do like to be around them. They remind me of the end. Someone said that when we look into the face of a child, we see the innocence of God. And that's true, the innocence of God. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the 6th chapter of John. We're going to be looking at some verses in the 6th chapter of John. But I also want to tell you a little bit about Georgia Baptist Children's Home. You have been a partner with us for a few years, and that's great. We have been in operation since 1872. This year we, serve, we celebrate our 140th year now, children, again, they, they're innocent, but they don't know nothing about age. I had some children there at the campus one time when I was talking to them. They wanted to know if I was there in the beginning of the children's home. And I said, no, of course, they didn't understand. I said, how old do you think I am? And one of them said, you're old. You're probably 39. <laughs> children don't know things like that. But during all those 140 years, churches like Harbin's have supported us in our ministry. We began as a ministry of a few churches in Atlanta area 
and they were concerned because children who had been orphaned as a result of the war between the states, those children walk in the streets. And these, these women, mostly mothers, and it is Mother's Day, they, they became concerned that these children had nothing to eat, no place to live, no place to care for them. And so some of the ladies took those children into their own homes. After a while, they discovered there were more children than their homes would accommodate. And so they got their church involved, and they asked to use the basement of a church building. And the church gave them permission to use the basement of the church building. And they took care of those children in the basement of the church building. And then they discovered there were more children than they could serve in the basement of a church building. And so it was at that point that the Georgia Baptist Convention became involved in the ministry to children, and it's been going on ever since. Churches like yours have supported the ministry of the children's home for all of those years. Now, I need to tell you this. Those of you who have been Baptist a long time, we don't get any funds from the Georgia Baptist Convention. We don't get any funds through our Baptist cooperative program. We don't get any funds through our state missions offering. And that means literally that one of the things I have to do is go out every day and raise money to operate Georgia Baptist Children's Home. And it's important for me to say to churches like Harbin's that we appreciate the support that you've given us in the past. Not just finances, but your emotional support and your prayers that you have given for our children. And it's that that has kept us going for 140 years. Now, these days, our ministry is different. We don't serve children who are true orphans, but we serve children that I call functional orphans. They're children who have parents somewhere, but sometimes the location of their parents is not known. Most of the children that we get these days are children who are in custody of the state. And so the state calls us and says, can you take care of these children? And we do so. But still, it is the churches of Georgia that make it possible for us to serve those children. And I'm grateful to you for what you have done in the past and what you will do in the future. Right now, today, we have nine locations across the state of Georgia where we're taking care of children. Nine locations. And multiple programs in those locations. We have three major campuses in Palmetto, Meansville, and Baxley. We have a horseback riding ranch program down in Warm Springs where the boys in that program take care of the horses. And then we have tons of people that come in from the outside to ride those horses. All of them are people who are physically handicapped and they come in for the therapeutic riding that we have. We have a drug and alcohol treatment program in Marietta that serves children and young people who are drug addicts. And I, I used to try to make that sound better. You know, they're addicted. They have drug problems. But they're, they're addicts. They're full-blown addicts. And so we take those children into our program and, and try to get them off those drugs and try to give them a different kind of lifestyle. And churches like Harbin's have made it possible for us to do that. You make it possible for us to serve girls in a, in a maternity program, girls who are pregnant, who have no place to go. You make it possible for us to serve them. You make it possible for us to have a summer camp program up in Mount Airy in Habersham County where this summer in June and July and, and early part of August we'll have six weeks of summer camp and each week we'll have about 25 children who are severely, severely physically handicapped. And you make it possible for us to bring those children together and give them a camping experience like they've never had before. 
They go horseback riding, they go canoeing, they do all the things that other children do, even though most of them have not been able to do that to that point. And you make it possible for us to take their parents and to give them some free time so that they don't have to worry about their children during that week of camp. You make it possible for us to do that. And I'm grateful to you for all you do. I'm going to tell you a little bit about some of the children this morning, but I want to just remind you that if it were not for churches like Harbin's, the ministry of the Georgia Baptist Children's Home would have ended a long time ago. But because churches pray for us and support us and care about us, it makes it happen. Now there's a little bit of preacher in me, so if you'll turn to the sixth chapter of John, I'm going to tell you a little story that you already heard before. And I want to preface it by what happens in the fifth chapter of John, because if you read in the fifth chapter of John, it tells the story of Jesus who was becoming famous. And it happens that there was a pool of Bethsaida where it was commonly known that if, if crippled people would go to that pool, that when the water was troubled, the first person in the water would be healed. Now, whether or not that was true or not, that was, the, that was what was told. There was a man there who had been crippled since birth, and obviously he had a hard time getting into the pool when the water was troubled. And Jesus had compassion on him. You know the story. Jesus healed him. We'd think that would be great, wouldn't you? A man who's been crippled since he was born, he's, he's healed, and now he can walk. Ah, but it was not so. Because the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day said this is not good. Well, there was two reasons they thought it was not good. One is that it was Jesus who had done it. They didn't like Jesus. They didn't want Jesus to be famous. They didn't want Jesus to get any recognition as being a healer or a savior. And secondly, it happened on the Sabbath day. Can you imagine something good happening on the Sabbath day? That'd be logical to us, wouldn't it? But to the religious leaders, they didn't want it to happen on the Sabbath day. Because, you see, they didn't even believe that you could break a half dozen eggs on the Sabbath day. That was work. You couldn't carry a pen and a pencil in your pocket on the Sabbath day because that was labor. They had very strict rules. And so for Jesus to heal on the Sabbath day was a sin. He broke the Sabbath. In the sixth chapter of John... We have the story of Jesus teaching his disciples. And the Bible says that he looks up and he sees a crowd of people approaching. And that crowd of, that multitude of people, the Bible tells us, had 5,000 men. Sorry, ladies and mothers. They didn't even count women and children during that day. Just 5,000 men, that's all they counted. And Jesus looked at them and I believe Jesus had compassion on them. If you look with me in that uh, first few verses of the sixth chapter of John, we'll start at the fifth verse. It says, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude or a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Where shall we buy bread that they may eat? Now this is the key verse in the whole passage, the sixth verse. If you write in your Bibles, then you ought to underline this verse. And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus knew what he was going to do about this situation. He already knew it. He was just trying to see if the disciples would believe. 
Philip answered him, Two hundred penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. In other words, Philip says, If a man worked half a year and used his whole salary, it wouldn't be enough to give just a little bit of bread for each of these. And then one of the disciples in verse 8, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, There's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? I love this passage because there's something in there that we need to draw out of it. And it's the story of a little boy. Again, it's Mother's Day, so we can talk about little boys and little girls because it takes mothers and fathers to have little boys and little girls. Now, I'm paraphrasing a good bit here. Please understand that. Steve, don't tell the religious leaders of our day that I did this. Jesus is there, and he says, Boys, we've got to buy some grub for these people. How are we going to buy grub for these people? And Andy says, Well, Master, there's a little boy here, and he's got a brown paper bag, and in that brown paper bag he's got five biscuits and two sardines. His mother has wrapped that up for him, She didn't want him to come out here without being prepared. And so he's got five biscuits and two sardines. But, Master, that's not going to help very much. Ah, but Jesus already knew what he was going to do. And so if you read the rest of the passage, you see that what happened was Jesus said, Okay, boys, you spread all those people out. Set them down in groups. Let them sit down on the grass in this park. And they did so. And then Jesus took that five biscuits and two sardines And the Bible says he blessed them, and he broke them up, and he said to his disciples, Now, give these people something to eat. And he did. They did. They went around, and they gave everybody something to eat. Now, wait just a minute here. Five biscuits and two sardines, 5,000 people, plus women and children. Okay, you got that picture? The Bible says that everybody had more than enough to eat. In other words, they ate like I do sometimes. They ate beyond being full. They ate to that burping level, you know. And then Jesus, who was the first environmentalist, said to his disciples, now we can't leave this stuff out here in this park. We've got to go pick up everything. And so he got them a basket. And he said, now pick up all the scraps. And if you read the rest of the passage, the Bible says, now get the picture here, five biscuits, two sardines, blessed them, broke them, 5,000 men plus women and children, all were fed. And the Bible says they picked up 12 basketfuls of the scraps. 12 basketfuls. That was some kind of miracle. That was some kind of miracle. But now let's go back to that little boy. I believe his mama, because that's what mamas do, I believe his mama made it possible for that little boy to be prepared. I think his mama made it possible for that little boy not just to be in a place where he could see a miracle, but where he could be a participant in a miracle. That's what good mamas do, isn't it? That's what good mamas do. This afternoon, I'm going to go to Gainesville, Georgia, and I'm going to visit my mama. She's 86 years old. She she's, sort of looks like an inverted L. She's stooped over. She has osteoporosis. 
But that's the kind of mama my mama was. I remember when we'd go out, she'd make sure we were prepared, and she would always say that final statement, have you got on clean underwear? Because, you know, mamas don't want you to have an accident and not have on clean underwear. I remember when I was growing up, up in Gainesville, my brother and I would get on our bikes in the morning, and we'd ride our bikes to the Allen house or to the Hultsey house, and we'd be gone all day long. I lived in the Beaver-Cleaver generation. Now, some of you youngers don't know what that is. But the ones that are smiling do know about Beaver-Cleaver. Those were the days when you could do anything you wanted, and you didn't have to worry about safety. You didn't have to worry about anything, just being a child and enjoying it. And we'd be gone. My brother and I would be gone. We'd leave in the morning. We wouldn't be wearing anything but a T-shirt and a pair of shorts. No shoes, nothing else. And we'd be gone, and we'd be gone all day long, and our parents never worried a minute about us. Now, the good thing was, if we were at the Hulsey house or at the Allen house at lunchtime, guess what? They fed us. That was just what you did. If everybody was at our house, then my mama fed us. Parents did that. They took care of the children. They loved the children. Oh, but the bad thing was, if we got in trouble at the Hulsey house or at the Allen house and got a spanking by one of them, before we got home, my parents knew it, and we got another spanking when we got home because we had misbehaved. But that's not the generation we live in now. The generation we live in now is a scary generation. It's a time in which there are adults who mean harm to our children. There, this is a time in which violence is prevalent. This is a time when children are actually abused and neglected and killed. This is a day in which children are seen often as sex objects. And it's in this world that Georgia Baptist Children's Home is serving. And you're making it possible for us to serve those children. Someone asked me when I first came in today about the kind of children that we get. Well, back in the days when we served all orphans, it was, a, it was an easy kind of generation. They had problems, but the problem was they didn't have parents. Can you imagine being a child who knows that your mama and daddy are out there somewhere, but they don't care enough about you to take care of you? Can you imagine being in a generation where your parents have abused you or neglected you? Can you imagine being in a situation where you have been physically harmed by adults that are supposed to be the trustworthy ones? That's the world we live in today. But the good news is this. Churches such as Harbin's makes it possible for us to serve children these days. And I, I just want to tell you about three or four of those children, if you'll allow me to. I'm going to tell you about a boy named, that I'll call Bob. Bob is the oldest child of 10 in a family. He's 16 years old. Bob lives in a county, lived in a county down close to our Baxter campus down in southeast Georgia. He's the oldest. He has nine siblings down to age three. Their mother, a single mother, is the mother of all 10 of those children. But there were three different fathers among those children. A few months ago, the mother, who was very, uh, had, 
well, she had several other different problems. She decided she didn't want to take care of those children anymore, and so she left and went to New York and said to Bob, I'm going to leave you in charge of the children. Now, a 16-year-old being left in charge of nine siblings. And Bob did a good job of it for about a week and a half, and then one day at school he said to the lady that worked in the office, I need to use your telephone. And she said, well, what, do you need to call home? And she said, no, I need to call I need to call the Department of Family and Children's Services. It takes a lot of bravery for a 16-year-old boy to turn in his own mother. And he called and said to the defects person, I'm, and called his name, and I think they knew who he was. And he told the story of his mother leaving him. They called George Babbage Children's Home. And they said to us, can you take care of these 10 children? Well, we can take care of 10 children. Yeah, we, I mean, we have programs and buildings and facilities to take care of children. That's what we do. And then they said, can you take care of these children all in one building together? Well, now, our buildings are pretty large, but when you've got 8 or 10 children already in a building, it's hard to add, you know, 10 more. But we said we'll do our best, and so... Within just a few hours, we had made arrangements so all these 10 children, this one family, could come and stay in one of our cottages with our house parents and would be taken care of. That night, they had supper, and they sat around a big table that's designed for all the children in the cottage. One of the little girls said, this is the first time I can ever remember having enough room for all of us to sit together at a table. As they were eating, one of the little girls, about a four-year-old, three or four-year-old, said to the house parent, how much can I eat? And the house mother didn't quite understand what she was saying. And one of the sisters said, no, what, what she's saying is, you know, when we, when we eat, sometimes we cannot eat all we want. And she's just wanting to know how much she can eat. And the lady said, honey, you can eat all you want. They thrived with us. They really did. The children thrived. But after about three months, the mother came back and she petitioned the juvenile court judge to get her children back. And since she had not physically abused them, she had neglected them, but had not physically abused them, the juvenile court judge said, okay, I'm considering letting them go back home. And so they had a hearing before the judge. Now, we were told, we, did, we were not a participant in that as such, but we were told that Bob, the 16-year-old boy, asked to speak to the judge privately, and they went back into his chambers. Of course, we weren't there. We didn't hear the story. But we were told later that what Bob said to the judge was this. I love my mother, and I love my brothers and sisters, but I don't want to go back home. I want to stay at Georgia Baptist Children's Home. Because this is the only chance I'll have to make something of my life. And so the other nine siblings went back home. The judge ruled that Bob could stay at Georgia Baptist Children's Home. And you made it possible for us to serve all ten of those children for a while. But you made it possible for us to keep holding on to that 16-year-old boy who wanted to make something of his life. As I mentioned, we have a maternity program. There's some tragic stories in that. All of them are tragic, I think. Not too long ago, we had a 16-year-old girl who came into that program. 
Not only was she a 16-year-old pregnant girl, which is problem enough, but she was also a self-abuser and had been abused physically. Her self-abuse is what we call cutting. And this girl was one who would take knives or razors or broken glass and, and mark her arms up or her legs up and cut herself. Can you imagine how dangerous it is to be a pregnant 16-year-old girl who has not had any prenatal care until the time she comes to the children's home who also is a cutter? You make it possible for us to serve girls like that. I remember when we started that program over 10 years ago, I had a lot of calls from Baptist preachers, and they said, we don't think the children's home ought to be involved in things like that. Sounded a little bit like those Jewish leaders in Jesus healing that crippled man. My response to them was this. You know, we Baptists have always been against abortion. Now tell me what your church is doing to help girls have healthy babies. And most times the lines would go absolutely blank. Quiet. You've made it possible for us to serve over 100 girls in that maternity program. And most times we have healthy babies. Not always. We've had a couple of very serious births in that program. But you made it possible for us to serve even those children. Now, one of the programs that we're doing right now that you may not have heard about, and I'm pretty sure that some of you won't like it, we serve children, girls, in a program that we've got, and these are girls who have been teenage prostitutes in the city of Atlanta. Atlanta is the, one of the hubs in the whole country for teenage prostitution. Did you know that? Did you know that? Did you know that? Men will fly into Atlanta having prearranged sexual relations with teenage boys and girls. They'll go to some hotel somewhere or motel somewhere. They'll meet the teenager. They'll have the sexual relations with them. And then they get back on a plane and they fly out of Atlanta as if nothing ever happened. We are told that every night there are over 300 teenage girls who are prostituting themselves in the city of Atlanta. For over a year now, we've been serving some of those girls. We bring them into our program. It's a pretty secure program because, let me tell you something, I used to see, I used to see stories where there'd be pimps you know, outlandish hats and cars and all that sort of stuff. Well, let me tell you something. There are really pimps in our world. Men who and women who have a group of girls that they put on the streets. They beat them, they drug them, whatever, to put them on the streets. And then those girls have to pay their pimp what they have made during the night. The good news is you made it possible for us to serve those girls. You made it possible for us to take care of them. You made it possible for eight of them to graduate from high school. You made it possible for them to go back home often. You made it possible for them to change that behavior and become something more than a teenage prostitute. You've made it possible for a miracle to happen. And churches like Harbin's 
have supported the ministry of Georgia Baptist Children's Home for 140 years, and you made it possible for us to serve those children who have come out of homes like Bob. You made it possible for us to serve girls who have been pregnant and are not married. You made it possible now for us to serve girls who have been teenage prostitutes. You've made it possible for us to put Christian people into their lives to change them. Last year, you made it possible for 51 of our boys and girls to make professions of faith in Jesus Christ. 51 brothers and sisters we'll have in heaven that we never knew. You made it possible. And for that, I am grateful. I'm grateful for churches like Harbin's that pray for our children and pray for our staff and pray that their salvation will come. I want to finish with this uh, little story. We have a young man who is going to college next year, and in going to college he was asked to write an essay. And the essay was supposed to be about a person who had been influential to him. This young man had been at the children's home for eight years. Very terrible situation. We took care of him. He's one of the laziest youngins I've ever seen. Laziest not. I mean, he really is. But he's bright. I mean, he can get on a video game and he can do anything with it. He don't like manual labor, but he can do anything he wants to with video games. So in the course of this essay, he was asked to write about some of the influences of his life. And this is what he wrote. He wrote a page, uh, but I just want to read part of the last paragraph. He talks about a young man or a man who uh, came into his life who got him involved in Boy Scouts who would come and pick him up every Thursday night and take him to Boy Scouts. And this is what he says in the last paragraph. If I'd never come to Georgia Baptist Children's Home, then I would never have met the most influential and best man in my life. And he calls the man's name, who is one of our staff members. He said, I would never have gone to Boy Scouts and learned all about myself and life either. Although I did not realize it myself when I first came, Coming to the children's home was the most influential and positive thing that could ever have happened to me. Sometimes when I go speak, somebody will say, well, do you think you're doing any good? I mean, there's a lot of kids out there. Do you think you're doing any good? And sometimes I get real, I'm a closet pessimist, but sometimes I get real depressed and I think, well, Lord, are we doing any good? And then I'll go to a baptismal service for one of our children. Or I'll get an essay like that where one of our staff members is called the most influential person in a child's life. And I think to myself, God, you made it possible. And I thank you for it. I want to thank you as a church for your support of our ministries. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your emotional support. Thank you for your financial gifts. I ask that you continue to pray for our children and our staff that God would touch them and that they would be saved.
Would you allow me to end my part with prayer, and then I'll turn the service over to Steve. Lord, I am grateful to you for your love. I'm grateful to you for all the ways you've shown us your love. The greatest of these is the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the fact that he always knew what he would do, and he always made situations better. I thank you that you're still in the life-changing and soul-saving business. That, Lord, you give us the opportunity of seeing lives changed, of children making professions of faith, of seeing them turn their lives to you. And I'm grateful to you for it. I'm grateful to you for this church, Lord, and I pray that you would continue to bless them. Bless their children. And, Lord, I pray today you would bless their mothers and that you would make them mindful of the fact that you're still in the life-changing business. Thank you, Lord. I ask that you would forgive me of my sins and bless us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we get ready to respond to the Lord, I ask Mark and uh, his praise team to come back up here and lead us in a closing song. And I'm just reminded that what makes what makes a church a great church? And um, I've been thinking a lot about Harbin's lately and what, you know, what, what do we need to be doing? Who are we? How do we, how do we connect with the community? What should we be doing outside of our community? And, uh, and those thoughts are always in my mind, but particularly lately they've been there. And, um, and what makes a church a great church? And, and, and I thought, well, what does that mean to be a great church anyway? I mean, who defines great? And I got to thinking about the, the pride that we all struggle with. Every single one of us struggles with pride all the time and the desire to be someone, desire to be great. And, uh, so it reminded me this morning of uh, Matthew chapter 18, where the disciples were arguing about being the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He said, truly, I say unto you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. But he goes beyond that as well. He then began to talk about the way we treat the children. And he says, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it'd be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depths of the sea. If we're never busting out of the seams or to build extra buildings or have a second service or anything like that, I don't really care. What I do care is that we're out there doing the real religion that James talks about, of taking care of orphans and widows and living out our faith in such a genuine way that people see that, that Christ has done something in us and we've become as little children. That pride has been, is being chipped away at and we're willing to get messy and to get dirty and to serve those teenage prostitutes in a culture that wants to just throw them away, to serve those teenage girls in a culture that is literally encouraging them throw that child away. So I'm glad that we're at a church that partners with ministries that are really, really great ministries. So as we close now, please stand if you would as we sing this song. Bring your offerings. Bring a children's home offering if the Lord's placed it upon your heart, but bring your prayer requests as well. And we'll close with this song and a couple of announcements. <laughs>